Well, if you haven't heard, Jim is at a conference in Chicago, and so he asked me uh, if I would pick up in this series that he's going through on the names of God. Uh, before we get into the message, which you might want to turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 22 and hold it there because we're going to be camped out in Genesis chapter 22, and those verses aren't going to be on the screen, but we're going to be doing some other verses that will be on the screen, uh, but I want you to be in your Bibles at Genesis chapter 22. Uh, before I get into the message, though, I want to ask you one question. Do you like tests? Uh, from some of the laughter I hear, I, oh, okay, Josh, you like tests? You're crazy. <laughs> um, <laughs> in high school, I didn't like tests at all. I did really poorly on tests. In fact, if I got a C or a D on a test, I was rejoicing. But then I went to college and something happened. I actually started to study and I started to like tests, not dread them anyway. Um, I wanted to show the professor what I'd learned. And so I was kind of looking forward to the tests read about one guy, a college student, who really wanted to show his professor what he was learning. He was studying for his midterm, he was, or maybe it was his final, I don't remember, but he was really studying for this thing. He actually read the book, he was studying the notes that his professor had taught during the, the school year. He actually started studying with some other students. He was looking forward to this test. It was a biology test. And on this test, uh, like I said, he was really looking forward to it until he opened the test. And what the test consisted of was nothing that he studied, nothing that the professor taught, nothing that he said was going to be on the test. All that was on that test were pictures of birds' legs. It was a biology test or something like that, and he was supposed to identify these birds just by looking at the legs. He was furious. He was, uh, you know, starting to stew over this, and, and finally, after about 10 minutes of sitting there, not being able to identify a single bird, he just wrote across the test, this test is stupid, and he handed it to the professor and started walking out the door. As he was walking out, the professor said, hey, wait a minute, what do you mean this test is stupid? And he said, well, nothing you taught us is on this test. I mean, how are we supposed to identify these birds just by looking at the legs? They're, it's stupid. And he started to walk off. And the professor, he noticed that he didn't sign his name to the test. So he said, oh, wait, before you leave, what's your name? And the guy turned around. It was one of those classes where it was a big lecture hall, so he didn't know all the students. So when he asked him, what's your name, the student turned around, lifted up his pants, and pointed to his legs and said, you tell me who I am. <laughs> Today, uh, what we see is that Abraham receives the mother of all tests. And in this test, God had one question for him. Do you love me? Do you love me more than you love your son Isaac? And to prove your love, 
He said, the test I'm giving you is will you offer me, your son Isaac, as a burnt offering? We're in a series where we're looking at the names of God. And I believe that in the names of God, really what we get is a reflection of who God is. Or we get a glimpse into who God is. What we see through the Bible is God has some special encounters with people during certain times. And in these encounters, these people give God a name based on what they discover about God during these encounters. One of those things what we're looking at today is the name Jehovah Jireh. Abraham discovers that God is Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. And that's the question that we need to ask ourselves today. Have we discovered God to be our provider? Do we know Jehovah Jireh? Now there's only one place in the Bible where this name is even given to God. It's in Genesis chapter 22 and we're going to look at that story this morning. So we're going to spend a little bit of time here in Genesis 22 as we look at the story of Abraham and Isaac. It starts off Genesis chapter 22. It says sometime later. Now the King James, the way it says it is after these things. So what we see is it's sometime after these things. After what things? Well, we see in the previous chapter that this is where uh, Ishmael and Hagar were sent away. And it says this is sometime after that. And if you remember last week, Jim preached on that. On the fact that Ishmael and Hagar were sent away. This is sometime later. In fact, by this time, people are telling us, the experts tell us, that Isaac could be as old as 33 years old. Think about it. So it says, sometime later, God tested Abraham. Now, we're told this is a test. Abraham is not told this is a test. He doesn't know it's a test. He thinks it's for real. So, sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham. Here I am, he replied. Now it had been some time since Abraham had heard from God. And this message that God has for him, this is a doozy. God said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. I just want to pause here and say this story has always bothered me. Why on earth is God telling him to sacrifice his son? Child sacrifice? That goes against everything I know about God. Think about Abraham. How must Abraham have felt when he got this message from God? Go and sacrifice your son. How must he have felt? And the thing about it is, Abraham can't flip in his Bible and go and read the end of the story. Abraham doesn't have that privilege like we do. So he doesn't know how it's going to turn out. 
So what we see is that this is really just a test, a test for Abraham. In Deuteronomy, we read about the purpose of tests. In Deuteronomy 8, verse 2, we read, and this is Moses, when he's uh, speaking to the people of Israel. He says to them, remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert these 40 years to humble you and to test you in order to know what's in your heart, whether or not you will keep his commands. So God wants to know what's in Abraham's heart. Do you really love me? Will you really obey me? Or does Isaac mean more to you than, than me? God wants to know what's in his heart. So, how does Abraham respond? It says, early the next morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey. I don't know about you, but I think if I was Abraham at that time, I would have slept in. I would have wanted to delay this as long as possible, but Abraham doesn't do that. Or, or if I were Abraham, I would have debated with God. I would have said, God, are you sure that you know what you're talking about here? I remember, this is, your, this, is, this is the son of your promise to me. This is Isaac, the son that you said w- would make me the father of many nations. And if he dies, how's that going to happen? And remember, Abraham isn't afraid to debate with God. Remember, he's the one who debated with God over the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. He said, well, what if there are 50 righteous men? What if there are 20? What if there are just 10? He's not afraid to debate with God, but he doesn't do it here. And I have to wonder myself, why doesn't he debate with God? But what does Abraham do? Abraham got up early the next morning. He obeyed. So early the next morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey. He took with him two of his servants, and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for for the place God had told him about. On the third day, the third day, those three days had to be torment. It had to be basically Abraham's Gethsemane. As he's wrestling with the fact that God had told him that you're to sacrifice your son. And had to tear him apart. But it says on the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while, while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Notice Abraham's faith. Abraham's saying, we're going to come back to you after we go there to the mountain. The mountain where God told me to sacrifice my son. We are going to come back to you. Abraham had faith that somehow God was going to work things out. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. I want you to notice who it was that carried the wood up Mount Moriah. It was Isaac. The one who was to be sacrificed carried the wood. And he himself, meaning Abraham, carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together... Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? 
Boy, I can just imagine Abraham. This question must have pierced his heart as he knows where the lamb is. But Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. Now at this point, just think about Isaac. He could have run away. He knew what was about to happen. He knew that Abraham was going to sacrifice him. But he didn't. He trusted his father. And basically, I have to think that what he's saying is, not my will be done, but your will be done. Because he trusted his father. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on top, on the altar, on top of the wood. And in my imagination, I'm thinking Isaac did not resist in any way. And then he, Abraham, reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. So how did Abraham do at this test? He passed, yeah. He passed the test. And when he passed the test, God revealed to him something about his character. Abraham looked up, and there in the thicket, he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. You see, at that time, Abraham discovered that God is the provider. That God would take care of him. Now the name he uses here is Jehovah Jireh. And that means the God who provides. Actually, this name is, is kind of a transliteration of the name that uh, Jim talked about last week. And if you remember, Jim said last week that the name um, Yer, can't even remember which one it was. El Roy, that's what it was. El Roy. And you remember what he said about El Roy? It's the God who what? The God who sees. The God who sees. And this is kind of a transliteration of the God who sees because the root of this word, Yaira, comes from to see. So really what Abraham's saying in this is, God sees me, he sees my need, and he provides for my need. It doesn't just mean that God sees me where I am right now, but it means that this God is a God who sees into the future. And he sees the needs that I'm going to have in the future. And foreseeing those needs, he's providing ahead of time what I'm going to need. So that ram in the thicket, why was it caught in the thicket? Abraham's saying it was caught by its horns in the thicket because God saw ahead of time that I was going to need this. 
and he provided it for me. So the God who sees, sees into the future, sees my needs and provides for them. And it goes on and it says, and to this day, what day? This is the day that Moses wrote this down. If you remember, Moses is the one who wrote the first five books of the Old Testament. And so he says, and to this day, it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. So way back in Moses' day, they were saying, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Now, this is very important. The mountain of the Lord, the mountain that Abraham sacrificed or went, went up with his son Isaac, that was Mount Moriah. And Mount Moriah is only mentioned one other place in the Bible, and we're going to get to that later. So remember this verse, because this is very important. And as I said, we're going to talk about it later. Now, in this story of Abraham and Isaac, we learn that God saw ahead of time what Abraham was going to need, and he provided it for him. He provided the ram to be sacrificed in place of his son Isaac. Now, I want to tell you, the direction I thought I was going to go with this sermon, that's not the direction we're going at all. I thought I was going to be talking about how God provides for us and takes care of us and how, you know, he clothes the lilies of the field and, and uh, feeds the birds of the air, how if we'll seek first the kingdom of God, he's going to provide all these other things for us. That's the direction I thought this was going to go. But then I started looking in the New Testament at some of the references to this story in the Old Testament and God took us in a different direction. What we find in the New Testament are several lessons from this story that several of the New Testament authors talk about. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. What are the lessons that we learn from Abraham and Isaac and Abraham's faith? I want to start off in Romans chapter 4, beginning with verse 1. Romans chapter 4, verse 1. It says, what then, and this is Paul speaking, what then shall we say that Abraham our forefather discovered in this matter? If, in fact, Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, when a man works, his wages are not credited to him as a gift but as an obligation. Now here's what Paul's saying. He's saying Abraham was justified by what he believed, what he believed about God. And since he believed God, he was declared righteous. Abraham's works didn't make him righteous. It was what he believed about God. And since he believed that about God, God declared him to be righteous. In Ephesians 2, Paul goes on to apply this truth to us. In Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9, we read, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. So Paul tells us that we're saved by grace. And he says grace is a gift. In other words, he's saying you can't earn your salvation. No matter what you do, by your works, you can't earn salvation. 
Now, with that in mind, with Paul talking about that, I want to look at James and see what James has to say about this. James chapter 2, verse 21. James says, Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? Now, if I read that right, it seems to me that James is contradicting Paul. Paul says it's what you believe. It's because Abraham believed God that he was declared righteous. And here James says it's because of what he did. In other words, it's his works that made him righteous. So the question is, which is it? Is it grace? Is it what we believe? Or is it works? Is it what we do? Well, James goes on to add to the equation, and he gives us another thing. He says, well... You need to think about faith, verse 22. He says, you see that his faith, Abraham's faith and his actions were working together. And his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. So which is it? Is it grace? Is it works? Or is it faith? Or is it grace and works? Or is it grace and faith? Or is it works and faith? What is it? Well, Romans, in Romans, Paul makes it very clear. It's grace. It's by what you believe. You believe, and God's grace saves you. But James, he makes it very clear, well, it's not just grace. It's not just what you believe, but it's more than that. It's what you do about what you believe. He says, yeah, that's true. It's true, but it's working faith that responds to God's grace. In other words, God put out his hand in grace, and I put out my hand in faith, and we had a deal. It's kind of like this. Grace brings me to the door of heaven, but by faith, I believe God. I reach out, I take the door handle, and I open it, and then I can come in. Working faith, and you might want to write this down, working faith is our response to God's grace. Abraham, he understood that. James tells us that it's God's grace that made Abraham righteous, but it was Abraham's faith demonstrated by what he did that connected him to God's grace that made him righteous. And the writer of Hebrews, he talks about this further. So this, here we've got possibly a third author. If this isn't Paul, we have another person. The writer of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 11, beginning with verse 17, he also talks about Abraham and the lesson he learned. He says, by faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had received the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though, and this is is key, he understood this, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead, and figuratively speaking, He did receive Isaac back from the dead. Since Abraham had complete trust in God, he could act on his faith. 
He knew that God had promised him that he was supposed to have his descendants, that he was supposed to be the father of many nations through his son Isaac. And he also knew that if he killed Isaac, that he couldn't be the father of many nations. But the thing is, he trusted God. He trusted that God would work things out. He trusted that God would provide for him through this. And so what did he do? He simply obeyed. He trusted God. He trusted God to work things out. And his job was to obey. I want to ask you though. Have you ever thought about how unfair it is that God gets to test us and we don't get to test him? Have you ever thought about that? God's testing Abraham here and he's giving him a big test. God tests us. Why shouldn't we be able to test God? I want to do that this morning. I want to, for a moment, put God through the same test that he gave Abraham. So let's ask him, do you love us? Well, God's answer for us is simple. Of course I love you. I gave you life. I gave you the stars and the space. I gave you this earth to live on. It's in a perfect place place with the moon and you know every everything on this earth is made so perfectly so that life can exist on this earth I clothe the lilies of the field I feed the birds of the air if I take care of them like that of course I'm going to take care of you I love you and so we ask him but do you really love us and if you really love us prove it So he does. God says to his son, his only son, the son that he loves, he says to Jesus, I have a job for you. I want you to go down to earth and I want you to prove my love for them. So Jesus comes to earth. What did he do? He lived a perfect life. He taught us what it means to love God and to love your neighbor as you love yourself. He taught us compassion. He he treated people with love and compassion. And then as a final act of love, what did he do? He died on the cross for us. What is it that Jesus said? No greater love has anyone than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. And that's what Jesus did for us. Remember that verse that I told you to remember way back, Genesis twenty-two fourteen. 14? The verse that Moses wrote that said, And to this day it is said, On the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. Moses way back then wrote, It will be provided. It sounds to me like Moses is speaking in the future tense. He's not speaking back to Abraham saying, yes, it it was provided for him. He's speaking in the future tense. He's saying, it will be provided. Now, did you know that Mount Moriah is only mentioned in one other place in the Bible? That's in 2 Chronicles 3, verse 1. It says, Then Solomon began to build the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem on Mount Moriah. Moriah. The temple of the Lord was built on Mount Moriah. Jerusalem was built on the mountains of Moriah. 
Abraham was told to sacrifice Isaac on Mount Moriah. And 2,000 years later, Jesus was sacrificed on the mountains of Moriah. But there's a difference. There was no last-minute salvation for Jesus. Remember I said that Isaac carried the wood up Mount Moriah? Jesus carried the cross, the wood, up Mount Moriah, and he was laid on that wood. And he laid there, and he didn't resist. He said, this is how much I love you. And he went to the cross, and he died for us. In John chapter 1, verse 29, we read, When John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him, he said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Just like God offered a ram to be sacrificed in the place of Isaac, he offered a lamb to be sacrificed in our place. Jesus. Jesus was that substitute lamb. In John 3.16, Jesus says about himself, he says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. God gave his one and only Son, the Son he loved. Why did he do that? God did it to prove his love for us. He says, this is how much I love you. He saw ahead to our greatest need. He saw into the future what we were going to need, and our greatest need is salvation. And he said, I am going to provide for that. And he did. He provided Jesus. Way back then, he saw what we were going to need, and he provided. In 1 Peter 1, beginning with verse 18, Peter talks about this as well. He says, for you know that it was not with imperishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world. God, our provider, saw before the creation of the world, before you or I were ever made, he saw what our greatest need was going to be, and that need was salvation. We were going to need someone to die in our place. And way back then, before the creation of the world, he provided for us Jesus. I don't know how many of you have heard of the singer-songwriter Michael Card. But years ago, Michael Card wrote a song entitled, God Will Provide the Lamb. And in this song, he has this line. What Abraham was asked to do, he's done. He offered his only son. So if we have to give God a grade for this test, we have to give him a passing grade. God passed the test. God proved his love for us. He provided for us Jesus. He gave for us his son, his, his only son, the son he loved. What I want to do right now is I want to see if I can kind of bring this all together for you. 
Now, in the name Jehovah Jireh, we learn that God is our provider. God sees us. He sees into our future. He sees our greatest need, which is the need for salvation. And in order to meet that need, he sacrificed his son. Jesus died in our place. And he says to us, this is my gift of grace. If you want to receive this gift, all you have to do is reach out in faith and take it. You can't earn it by your own good works, but you need to have enough faith to reach out and to actually take out your hand and take it from me. But he's saying when you reach out your hand, don't be surprised if God tests you. Don't be surprised if he says, give me your Isaac. If you really trust me, prove it. Give me your Isaac. You say that you have faith? Great. Show me your faith. Show me that you trust me. You say that you trust me with your salvation? Prove it. Lay down your Isaac. So I want to ask you this morning, what about it? Do you trust God? Are you ready to lay down your Isaac? And for you, your Isaac may be, God may be saying to you, your Isaac is that job. That job is keeping you from me. You spend so many hours at that job that you don't have time for me. You don't have time for your family. And at that job, guess what? At that job, you have to, you have to lie and cheat just to keep that job. He's saying, you trust in that job, you put that job down. Trust in me. I will provide. Or he's saying, for you, your Isaac may be that relationship. You're, not li you're, you're living with him but you're not married to him. You're trusting him to provide for you. Trust me to provide for you. Or he may be saying your job is your children. I mean, your Isaac is your children. You're spending so much time with them that you're, you don't have time for me. They're keeping you away from me. Do you love me more than you love them? Lay down your Isaac. Abraham found God to be his provider. What about you? Have you known or do you know God as Jehovah Jireh? God, my provider. Heavenly Father, this is a challenge to us today. And Father, you are our provider. You do provide for us for our greatest need, but not just our greatest need. We know that you provide for us every need that we have. Father, Help us to go out boldly and to put our trust in you completely. Father, help us when the time comes to lay down our Isaac and to say to you, yes, God, we love you. We trust you completely. You are our provider. It's in Jesus' name we pray.